0: Well, good morning, Grace. It's a privilege to be with you, Uh, and it's a privilege to get to talk with you this morning about love. That's what our passage is about, Mark chapter 12. Um, If you don't have a Bible and would like to borrow one uh, for the morning or take it home to keep, uh, stick up a hand and one of our ushers would be glad to bring one to you. Uh, Since uh, September of last year, I think, uh, we've been preaching through the Gospel of Mark, uh, part one of Mark, the first eight chapters or so, tells us about Jesus' ministry up north in Galilee, and then part two of Mark tells us about Jesus making his way down south to Jerusalem, where he's crucified, dies, and rises again. So chapter 12, we're kind of midway through part two right now, and I think our, our series is due to be finished just in time for Advent. Our culture loves love. Love. All we need is love, right? From I'm loving it to the love that moves the sun and the other stars, culture is preoccupied with love. Without love songs, we'd barely have music. <laughs> Without romance, half our TV shows would go blank. There's something deeply human about love. Love is woven into the very fabric of our being. And love is wonderful, it's magnificent. And if it's deeply human, it's also practically divine, or at least it can be. Our culture usually deals with the bare husks of love and not the kernel, with imitations of varying quality but not the real thing. But what our culture retains of truth, it learned from the Bible. The Bible is no stranger to love. The Bible tells us that God is love. God is loving himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible says that before the foundation of the world, the Father loved the Son. Also before the foundation of the world, the Father, in love, predestined us for adoption. And then the Father loved us, how? By giving his only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus prays to the Father that we Christians may be perfectly one so that the world may know, get this, He praying to the Father that you loved them even as you loved me. Wow, the Father loves us, his adopted sons and daughters, like he loves his only son. That's amazing, that's like the Holy of Holies of the New Testament. John exclaims, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, amen? Paul says of the Christian life, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Peter, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Love is so central to the Bible that it can even say anyone who does not love God Sorry, does not love, does not know God. In the Bible, it's love or bust. Love is the still more excellent way of faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. And just as love had no beginning, so love, God tells us in his word, love never ends. Hallelujah. From before the foundation of the world to the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, in the Bible, everything revolves around love. But wait a minute, I'm thinking back to Sunday school and didn't we learn that the answer to every question in church was always what? Jesus, hmm. So is the Bible about love or is the Bible about Jesus? Is Christianity about love or is Christianity about Jesus? As my mom likes to say, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. (laughs) So love or Jesus? We'll come back to that after you smoke. Mark 12, verses uh, 28 to 37. Um, In our chapter, chapter 12, Jesus has recently arrived in Jerusalem. He's cleansed the temple. He's been confronting the religious leaders. Uh, The crowds are doing the McDonald's thing. They're loving it. But with the scribes and the Pharisees and Sadducees, tensions are mounting. But then in our passage, that's kind of crazy. We get a good scribe. Yeah, a good scribe. Go figure. Let me read the passage for us, and then we'll pray and talk. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he, God, is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we too hear your word gladly. Jesus answers well. He is right. And he speaks in this passage, Father, of the most important commandments, the greatest commandments. And so we want to understand and obey. Father, we want to love you with all that we are. We want to love our neighbor aright. Heavenly Father, would you by your spirit, please continue to speak your word to us in these next moments? And if we are perhaps not far from your kingdom, Father, then we pray, let your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So in our time this morning, we're going to talk about this passage kind of as a whole. That's our first task. Second, we're going to talk about loving God. Guess what's third? Neighbor. Very good, so passage, God, neighbor, here we go. In this passage, this good scribe and Jesus agree about the essence of religion, its love. I mean, this scribe, I mean, throughout all the interactions so far in chapter 12, he had just heard Jesus handle the Old Testament with remarkable skill. The stone the builders rejected from Psalm 118. Humanity in the image of God from uh, Genesis 1. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from Exodus 3. And then in our passage, though we won't have time to talk about it this morning, Jesus goes on to show how Psalm 110 is about himself, the pre existent Messiah, the Lord said to my Lord. So many of the religious leaders right, had become preoccupied with religious ceremony, but had forgotten the love behind it all. But this scribe, he knows his Old Testament. He knows that the law of Moses was never about mere ceremony. The ceremonies are important, but the point was God and neighbor. This scribe knew the passage in the Old Testament where Samuel says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. This scribe had pondered what God said to Hosea, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Now this scribe probably felt that many of his colleagues were missing the point. So he goes to Jesus who seems to know the scriptures so well. He wants to know if Jesus has seen in scripture the same things that he had seen. And Jesus answers his question by quoting from Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God, and Leviticus 19, love your neighbor. And this scribe is so excited it's like, yeah, see, I told you. This is what I've been talking about, you guys. You see, Jesus wouldn't be the fulfillment of the Old Testament if he brought a fundamentally different message. Even in the days of Abraham, it was salvation by grace through faith. Even in the days of Moses, it was love God, love your neighbor. Right? This scribe had understood his Old Testament. He was hoping Jesus would say something like this, and so he's thrilled at Jesus' answer. But Jesus' answer, of course, as so often, it has some unexpected elements in it, right? The scribe asks about one commandment, and then Jesus answers with a confession of faith and two commandments. So what's that about? Well, the statement of faith is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, This is kind of like the Apostles' Creed of the Old Testament. It's the benchmark of Orthodox theology. If you can confess this creed, you're on your way to becoming a good Jew. And the scribe doesn't miss that Jesus goes here first. When the scribe goes to reaffirm what Jesus says, beginning verse 32, he says, yes, God is one, and there's no other. Well, why does Jesus quote it? Well, because if we're going to live rightly before God, we have to know who he is If I'm going to live rightly before you, I have to know whether you're my employee or a policeman, right? So theology comes before ethics, right? Doctrine, teaching comes before action. Um, As Gerald said last week, if we don't know the truth about the power of God, we won't be able to hope confidently in the resurrection of the dead. So statement of faith, God is one, unique, supreme. That's the reason why. We are to love him wholly, exclusively, and supremely, and also why we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. We have to know who God is. Why then two commandments? The scribe only asked about one. Well, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, he wrote them, God did, on two tablets of stone. So commandments one through four, they have to do with our vertical relationship with God, Commandments five through 10 have to do kind of with our horizontal relationship with our neighbor. So the two greatest commandments of Jesus' answer, they summarize the two tablets of the law. So this thoughtful scribe, he finds Jesus in the temple. He asks him about the essence of true religion and Jesus answers God and the 10 commandments. And the scribe is just beaming with affirmation. And Jesus says, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Do you think the scribe became a believer? Do you think this not far scribe ever arrived at the kingdom of God? Mark doesn't tell us, but this is part of Mark's artistry. I mean, as we read this passage, we're so glad to meet a nice scribe for once. I mean, we identify with this good scribe. So what Mark is asking us to do is by our own response to finish this scribe's story. So if we read this passage and say, yep, love in God, love in neighbor, that's totally it. If we agree but do nothing more, oh, my friends, let us not love with words or talk, but with actions and in truth. Love doesn't stop with mere agreement. Love is active, as we'll see in a moment. Let's each of us give this scribe's story a happy ending. Now, all this while you've been smoking, is it love or is it Jesus? Well, right at the beginning of Mark's gospel, chapter one, Mark tells us that his gospel is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The climactic confession in Mark's gospel is that of the centurion near the end of chapter 15. Truly, this man was the Son of God. And what do we see the Son of God doing in Mark's gospel? Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup of suffering from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The Son of God does the Father's will. The Son obeys the Father's commandments. The Son loves the Father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Son loves his neighbor as himself. Jesus is the one who fulfills these greatest commandments. Can anyone really love God and neighbor like that? Jesus did. Amen, right, Jesus' love is perfect love. Jesus loved the Father, and he now loves the Father with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus loved us and still loves us as he loves himself. It's astounding. This is the incomparable Jesus that Mark is showing us in his gospel. So of course it's not love or Jesus, it's Jesus who loves. And it's Jesus who shows us what love is. Right? How do we know what love is? The Bible says this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Christianity revolves around love because it revolves around Jesus. But here's the thing, in love, Jesus is not just the supreme example. He doesn't just like clear a 10-foot high jump and say, oh, now you try. If Jesus were only an example of love for us sinners, these commands would be an unbearable weight, an impossible burden. But Jesus is not just our example, but our hero. He jumps for us. He fulfills these commands for us. He loves us and he loves for us. But these commands on their own, these laws, they can't make us love like this. But Romans 8, God has done what the law could not do. He sent his son to love perfectly and to bear away our failure to love. Why? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. What requirement? The requirement to love God and to love neighbor. What happens to this requirement? It is fulfilled in us. If we belong to Jesus, God considers us as if we had fulfilled this law ourselves. Even though we still fail in love, God now looks on us as if we had been as perfectly loving as Jesus was for us. And it gets better. Our perfected love is a reality right now in Jesus, but it's also becoming a reality in our own lives. Through our loving hero, Jesus, God the Father, through his spirit, right now is training us in love, enabling us to love, teaching us to jump. The spirit of the God who is love lives in us and is maturing us in love. And though in this life, Oh, how we struggle to love God and neighbor. But love won't always be a struggle. Someday we too, just like Jesus, you and I right here will love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. Someday you and I will love our neighbor as ourself. And we will do this freely gladly, without fail, without struggle, day in, day out, forever. The Bible says that he who began a good work in you, God the Father, will carry it on to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see, God has planted love in us and God himself will bring it to completion. God will grow our little struggling sapling love someday into a great oak of righteousness. Righteousness. And this will happen when? At the day of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus came the first time to get love right for us in our place. And then he sent the Spirit to begin transforming us into true lovers. And Jesus will come a second time to perfect love in us. So that in the life to come, we will love as perfectly as Jesus loves. Beloved, now we are God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. When Jesus appears, when he comes again, or we go to meet him first, we shall be like him. What does it mean we shall be like him? It means that we will love like Jesus loves. When Jesus comes again, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. So what do we do in the meantime? How should we be active in love right now? Between the perfect love of Jesus back then and the perfect love of the saints in the life to come, what are the works of love that we need to perform today? Well, to begin with, love God. How do we love God? Let me count the ways. Uh, For the sake of time, let me just count one way, or uh, maybe two, uh, to love God. First is something that we're doing right now. We love God by listening to his word. Here we are, gathered together to hear what our Heavenly Father has to say to us. Don't you think he's pleased? As we were before earlier singing God's praises, he was enjoying it. If anyone this morning has repented of sin, the Bible tells us there was joy in heaven when that happened. This morning we have called on God's name and the prayers we have prayed this morning have risen like incense before him. To love God, it's relationship, right? You try to find out who he is and what he's like, to understand his works and his ways, to enjoy him. That's what the Bible's for. That's what Bible sermons are for. That's what church is for. To love God, among many other things, of course, is to join with our brothers and sisters in worshiping him. Friends, the way that you are loving God right now is beautiful. Keep it up. Keep gathering for worship. I know for many of us, it was hard to get to church this morning, but keep coming. And of course, don't just come to be here. Come to church to love God. And then maybe this week you could ask God to show you one way to love him. Maybe you've been asking and didn't realize it. When we pray, your will be done, that means, among other things, help me to love you like this. Help me with joy and delight, freely and eagerly and voluntarily to love you supremely and also my neighbor. Do you think our Father would answer a prayer like that? The Bible tells us we can have confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. Of course, to love God is also to love our neighbor. The commands are inseparable, right? To love God is to love the ones whom God loves. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Well, show it by feeding my sheep. Love your neighbor As yourself. Summary of Commandments 5 through 10, right? Paul says the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule love your neighbor as yourself. Huh, Paul sounds a lot like Jesus. Or Galatians. The entire law is summed up in a single command love your neighbor as yourself. James calls it the royal law. Sometimes we call it the golden rule, right? Do to others as you would have them do for you. For this, says Jesus, sums up the law and the prophets. Now, this command is simple, but it raises all kinds of questions. So let me tell you first about simple, and then let me try to answer four questions for you. So loving our neighbor, it's just taking care of people in need, right? The good Samaritan, It's doing to them what we'd want done to us. It's bearing one another's burdens. So we want good food, nice clothes, a happy home for ourselves. We should try to get those for our neighbor as well. We want comfort in sorrow, relief in pain, friendship in loneliness. We should try to get these for our neighbor as well. And our ultimate need is, of course, for love, the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we should try to tell our neighbor about this as well. John Piper says, we are to make our self-seeking the measure of our self-giving. So the idea, fairly simple. But when we hear this command, when our sinful selfishness is commanded to quit navel-gazing and start thinking about others, oh, we squirm. <laughs> Question number one. Here's how I squirm. Like, oh, what if I don't have enough love to go around? Right? For me, when I hear love your neighbor, I think, oh, good grief. I don't even love my wife and kids well enough. How am I supposed to love my neighbor? Well, friends, we, I, we don't need to fear like this. Love is not like money. Love has its own strange economy. If I keep my $20, I have it all. If I share it with you, I have less. If I keep my love, I lose it all. If I share it with you, I have more. You see, love gains in sharing. And Jesus tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and our needs will get met in the process. Only God can give us the love with which to love. And he's got this strange way of blessing us as we bless others. So friends, let's rely on God and love our neighbors. Question two. Shouldn't I maybe just love on myself a while first? I mean, the command is, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And some people feel so wounded and worn out and mistreated by life that they think, man, I need to recharge my love batteries, take a little me time, and then I'll do neighbor. Ooh, bad idea. If you were in need and I could help you, would you want me to take a little me time first? Right? Did Jesus take a little me time first? Right, me first is very not Christian. Right? Navel-gazing is bad medicine. But the fear is understandable, right? We are wounded. We have run out of juice. We don't have the resources in ourselves to love others. These commands are far more than we can handle on our own. Love comes from God. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So let's ask God for whatever we need in order to be able to love our neighbor. And here's the thing. We will often find that God heals our wounds and recharges our batteries as we do so. So friends, let's trust God here and love our neighbor. Question three, what if loving my neighbor does them no real good? What if they don't respond? Two points here. First, our only hope of loving our neighbor well is if we are loving God supremely. Loving God is prerequisite to loving neighbor. And as we love God supremely, here's what we'll find we will come so to delight in the wonder of God's love for us that we will also delight simply in showing this love to others, to the praise and pleasure of God, even if our neighbor doesn't respond to it. I mean, of course, we dearly want them to respond. Loving our neighbor means caring about them. And if they stubbornly refuse our love and continue to destroy themselves in their sin, we grieve, we weep, we pray. But unless something else intervenes, we will also give up. Just like in evangelism, our satisfaction and our perseverance in loving our neighbor, it cannot depend on our neighbor's response. It has to flow from our love for God. But second, the crazy thing is, the love we show to our neighbor, even if they don't respond, Jesus takes it as shown to him. Matthew 25, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you in? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? King Jesus answers, truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. So here these practical needs of food, clothing, shelter, care, comfort, our love for our neighbors is never wasted. Jesus receives it. And on the day of judgment, Jesus himself will say to us, because we've loved our neighbors, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The neighbor in need of love is a stunning opportunity to serve Jesus. So, friends, let's seize this opportunity and love our neighbors. Question four. Who is my neighbor? Well, potentially anyone in need, right? As we learned from the Good Samaritan. But the neighbor can't be everyone in need. You, for example, will soon be in need of lunch. Now, if I try to feed others as I feed myself, everything in our fridge and cupboard might make lunch for about 30 of you, and some of you'd be eating stale beans. But then, come dinner... I'd have no food left for the members of my household, and Paul says, I'd have denied the faith and become worse than an unbeliever. So there's no way I'm feeding you lunch. You'll be pleased to know. Point being, the needs fastly exceed our resources. Right? So who is my neighbor? Yes, the neighbor could be any passing stranger on the street. More likely it'll be those we have regular contact with. Right? Those who run in our circles, at work, at school, at the gym, at the grocery store. Even those people who live on the same street that we do. But then get this, Galatians 6. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. It is especially our brothers and sisters in Christ whom we are commanded here to love. Okay, fine, but still, on any given day, how do we know which possible neighbor is the actual neighbor that we're supposed to love? Only God can show us who our neighbors are and how they need to be loved. So let's ask Him. He will show us. Father, whom should I love? and how and help right this week god gave me a few people to pray for that is a few neighbors to love by praying for them uh, god gave me a couple people to meet with and to encourage god will help us obey this commandment to love southern grace love well love god love like god loves love those whom god loves And by this, all people will know that we are Christ's disciples. Uh, Back in June, Rob Lister observed that as culture moves further and further from Christianity, love becomes our great cultural opportunity. Our culture loves love and we can show them the real thing. Isn't food bank fantastic Or Project Hope. Isn't that amazing? Right? How powerful is the testimony of love? Maybe our love for our neighbors as a congregation will see Project Hope extend to Royal Family Kids Camp. Maybe ministries of love for the elderly or disabled will emerge from our congregation. God will show us. Right? And again, if the number of neighbors in need still is overwhelming to you, maybe you can take this as an occasion to pray bigger prayers. Pray for every possible neighbor out there. No prayer is too big for God. So in light of love's perfection in Jesus and in the life to come, let's not feel threatened or condemned or overwhelmed by these greatest commandments. Let's look on these greatest commandments and in fact of all, on, on all of God's commandments in scripture as a chance to know him. Every command of God is a liberating opportunity to love him and to become like what we love and to bring the blessings of this love to others. Oh, we do fail and we confess and God forgives us and he will strengthen us and he will never leave us or forsake us. Paul asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, says Paul, and so let us too be convinced and comforted and encouraged that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your love is amazing. Father, we thank you for the love of Jesus. Father, we praise you for adopting us into it. We praise you for growing us in love by your spirit. Father, we thank you for your promise that you yourself will perfect love in us now and ultimately someday. Heavenly Father, fill us with your love. And then, Heavenly Father, let it flow joyfully to all around us. For this we ask in Jesus' name, amen.